You know, as we now are in the fourth week of this 10-week series called Emmaus, I just want to remind us of a couple things that we've picked up on our journey. And for those of you who missed the first, second, and third week, I want to remind you that you can go onto our website, you can go onto iTunes. Bel Air actually has an app on your smartphone that you can download and get all of not only our Sunday services, but Open Word, many of the different teachings that we have, find out more information about who we are. But just as a reminder, the first week we were reminded that Jesus is God's Word and only He alone has the power to define our worth. In the second week, we took a look at how Jesus is the light of the world, and He calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light, and He reminds us not to settle for the shadows. And then last week, we took a look at how Jesus is the true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when Isaac asked his father, Father, where is the Lamb? But that answer was found in Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. And we're going to take a look at a very, very important truth that Joseph actually has more to do with Jesus than he does with an amazing Technicolor dream code. That's what Joseph is known for. But I'm going to take a look at Scripture and see how perhaps there's a different message we will get. So as a reminder, as we've been going through this sermon series, we've been starting with the same passage of Scripture each week, and it's found in Luke 24. And whether you have your Bibles or not, I want to put this up on the screen. We're going through the New Living Translation this week. And the reason why in all these 10 weeks we're starting with the same passage of Scripture is that each time I've found as I come to God's Word, God's Spirit will illuminate my heart and my mind to see something that I've perhaps missed before. So as we hear this passage, my prayer has been this week is that you would see a nuancedness of God speaking to you through this passage that perhaps you've forgotten, perhaps you've overlooked. So why don't we hear this? This is God's word. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles out of Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Suddenly, Jesus himself came along and joined them and began walking beside them. But they didn't know who he was because God kept them from recognizing him. You seem to be in a deep discussion about something, he said. What are you so concerned about? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there in the last few days. Well, what things, Jesus asked. The things that happened in Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did wonderful miracles. He was a mighty teacher, highly regarded by both God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders arrested him and handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had thought he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. That all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen angels who told them, Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, Jesus' body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you're such foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted by the prophets that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his time of glory? Then Jesus quoted passages from the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining what all the scriptures said about himself. By this time, they were near Emmaus and the end of their journey. 
Jesus would have gone on, but they begged him to stay the night with them since it was getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took a small loaf of bread, asked God's blessing on it, broke it, then gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him, and at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts feel strangely warm as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, where the 11 disciples and the other followers of Jesus were gathered. When they arrived, they were greeted with the report, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? God, as we come here, as we come to your word, may you, in the same way that you changed the perspective of those disciples, would you change our perspective to be not what, what I want my church to hear, but Jesus, what you want your church to hear. And as we ruminate on the life of Joseph, as we understand forgiveness, May we understand it through you, Jesus, and how your way is so different than any other way. God, we thank you for this time. We pray in your mighty name. Amen. I'd love for you in your pew Bibles to pull those out. We're going to go to Genesis 50. So not the New Living Translation, but the newly revised standard version is in your pew Bibles if you have it. On your phones, you can turn there as well. But what I want you to do is I want you to go to Genesis 50. And since I don't have the Bel Air Drama Department this week to summarize all of Joseph's life, I'm going to try to unpack very briefly in about four minutes Joseph's life all the way from Genesis 22 all the way up to Genesis 50. So just open it up to Genesis 50, put your thumb there. So remember last week we talked about Abraham? Remember how he had a son named Isaac? So if there's a family tree, you've got Abraham. Isaac was his son. Well, Isaac had two sons as well, Jacob and Esau. And even though Esau was the firstborn son and is his favorite, Jacob, on the other hand, was very sly, very cunning, very deceptive. And so he manipulated his father to receive the blessing that was due Esau. Now, Jacob really struggled with God his entire life. In fact, there became this one point in which he's wrestling before God where God actually renames Jacob Israel. And Israel, or as we know him, Jacob, had 12 sons, which as we look back on history, we refer to those sons as the 12 tribes of Israel. So the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has these 12 sons, and Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. And we see this in Genesis 37. There's this moment in his life, we turn 17, where he is given a a coat, a robe, And actually, it's this scene in Scripture in Genesis 37-3 where Tim Rice, Andrew Lloyd Webber, get the inspiration of that musical, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? That's how we know Joseph, right? Well, don't tell Tim Rice, don't tell Andrew Lloyd Webber, obviously they're not Hebrew scholars. They don't know the actual translation of that phrase. And Pastor Dave, he's got his hand in his head. He said to me, he says, Drew, do you really want to do this to these people? Do you really want to change their perspective, their image of this guy? Well, actually, in the Hebrew, and he reminded me of this this morning. He's chuckling away right there. He knows this is going to mess you up. It wasn't an amazing Technicolor dream code. It was a robe with long sleeves. <laughs> now, can you imagine Broadway, you know? 
Joseph in the amazing robe with long sleeves. <laughs> not catchy, not catchy. But regardless of what it looked like, some translations say a coat of many colors, some say a richly ornamented robe, or in the Hebrew, a robe with long sleeves. Whatever it looked like, it very much was symbolic of this truth, that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. It was a robe of honor. It was a robe of prestige. And Joseph didn't really help the matter because he had these dreams and he shared what these dreams were to his brothers that basically were his brothers in his dreams bowing down to him. He even had this dream of the moon and, and the sun, I believe, and, and 11 stars bowing down to Joseph. And so what happened was is these brothers, bitterness set in, jealousy set in. And it got so bad, it got to the point where actually those brothers plotted to kill Joseph. And so the oldest brother, Reuben, actually talks them out of it and says, okay, let's not kill him, let's just throw him into a pit. Thanks, brother, right? They throw him into a pit and they take off. And then they have a change of heart. But it's not really a change of heart like, let's go back and rescue him. They say, let's go back and pull him out so that we can sell him into slavery. So these brothers, right, they're heading back, these 11 other brothers, and they're going to get Joseph, who's been in this pit, but they get there and he's gone. And they have no idea what's going on, so they actually take this robe, which they had taken from him before, and they dip it in goat's blood, and they bring it back to their father. What had actually happened was there was a group of traders that came by and found Joseph in that pit. They took him out of that pit, and they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Long story short, Genesis 37, all the way through, we find that Joseph is so faithful. He has so much integrity. He's such a great servant of the Lord that even though he's accused of wrongdoing, even though he's thrown into jail, God has favor on him. And it actually gets to this point where Joseph is actually promoted within Egypt to the right hand of Pharaoh. In other words, even though they threw him into a pit, eventually over time he is now the second most powerful man in Egypt. He's like the prime minister. He has the power, he has the authority, he has the ring, he has the clothes to basically do whatever he wants. And he uses that power to save many, many lives because he has this dream that there's going to be a famine that's going to come into the land. So he, he actually stores up grain because there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And so he stores it up and all of a sudden they're in this famine that's sweeping the land. And Joseph, because of how God has used him, how God has wired him, is now saving hundreds of thousands, millions of lives in Egypt. So it gets so bad, this famine is spreading so bad. Now it's like 20 years later, where Jacob's still alive, still has his sons. They are in so desperate need of food that he sends his sons to Egypt to get some grain, to buy some grain. And I won't go into all the details. There's many twists and turns. In some ways, the most heart-wrenching, the most emotionally charged passages in all of Scripture where these brothers show up, and the crazy thing is they don't even recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. And a whole bunch of things happen, they're thrown into jail, but all of a sudden, Joseph is so moved with mercy and compassion that he finally reveals himself to his brothers. And through tears, it says that all of Pharaoh's household could hear him weeping, he actually forgives his brothers. And he sends for his dad, Jacob. And they bring Jacob and all the family, and they come to Egypt, and now they're living there, and they have the land, they have the food. Even though there's this huge famine, he's able to provide, and the whole family is now thriving 
in Egypt. And then Jacob, at the end of his life, passes away. And now we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 50. So again, why don't you open up those Bibles if you put those away, if you thought I would never finish that summary. Well, here I did, and here I am. We're now at Genesis 50. In Genesis 50, verse 15, Moses is narrating this story. It says this, realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? Now, pause there. Basically, they're saying, though he has extended mercy to us, what if now he wants justice? And I'll say that again. Though he has extended mercy to us, which by definition, mercy is withholding punishment that is due. I mean, 20 years. I mean, think about this, the ramifications for their choice. They threw him and left him for dead in a pit. He's now away from his family. Joseph experiences all these things, all this heartache. And you look at that and you're like, where is God in the midst of this? 20 years, all this stuff happens. So it would be very right for him in many ways to want to punish his brothers. And as humans, we can relate to that. I mean, honestly, we can relate to that. When people wrong us, Maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's coworkers, maybe it was somebody on the freeway. Our natural bent as humans is we want to exact justice. If they hurt us, we want them to pay. And so mercy, by definition, is not asking them to pay for it, to pun- be punished for it, but to withhold that. And so these brothers are saying, okay, he's been so merciful to us. What if now he wants justice. And in that moment, I want you to hear very truly how Joseph forgives. You see, the way in which Joseph forgives is he extends mercy. And many of us, after a while, we feel like, okay, is he going to stop extending mercy? I mean, when's he going to get justice? Especially if you were to read all the stories, not just hear my summary. I mean, when's he going to get them paid back? You see, many of us Though we're called to forgive and even to experience forgiveness from God, we think that we're supposed to forgive and we think that God forgives us the same way that Joseph forgives. It's very easy for us to think that when God forgives us that he's just withholding punishment from us. And it's easy to think that when we're supposed to forgive others, which Jesus says you're supposed to forgive 70 times 7, it's very easy for us to think that, well, I need to just withhold punishment. I need to be merciful. But the truth is, the way that Jesus forgives is very, very different than the way that Joseph forgives. This is so key. This is so critical. If you catch this today, it will actually change the rest of your life. It will free you in ways that have never freed you before. In fact, when I was in college, I heard this illustration. It changed my life forever. I was a new Christian, I kind of understood what forgiveness was, but I always defined forgiveness as being merciful, withholding punishment that another person was due. And so this this pastor shared, who was up at Forest Home at College Briefing, and he shared this illustration. He says, okay, imagine, imagine if you were to visit a friend for a week, and let's say you were to go every day of that week to a coffee shop that that friend recommended. But let's say if you, and I'll personalize it for me, let's say if many of you in this room are like me and 
you forget your wallet. I mean, I really do that. Any show of hands, any of you forgetful people in this room? Okay. There's my people here, right? So I often forget my wallet. He says, okay, so imagine if you go into that room, you go to that coffee shop, and you order your food. It's one of those places where you get the bill at the end. If at the end of that time, you realize you don't have your wallet, what you're going to do in that moment is you're going to appeal to the owner's mercy. Even though you should pay for it, which you can't, he could throw you in jail. He could call the cops. He could make you go in the back and wash dishes. That would, that would even the score. What you're doing in that moment is you're appealing to his mercy. You're saying, you know, I know you should kick me out, but, but hey, my friend recommended this place. You know him, right? Oh, yeah, I know him. So it's fine, right? Okay, okay. And so the owner lets you go. So as this pastor shared this story, he would say that every week of this week, you would go into that coffee shop. Imagine if you were to do this. You go in, and every week you order more and more food, more and more coffee. You order for the people around you. You're building up the bill, okay? We're generous people, aren't we? But then at the end of the time, you, you don't have your wallet. You see, after a while... If the owner is rational, their mercy is going to run out, right? It's true, isn't it? After a while, we can't appeal to that owner's mercy any longer. The problem is that many of us think God is just like that owner, that we keep making mistakes, we keep having a debt, we keep having a bill, and we can't make up for it, and we think that after a while, God's going to finally say, enough is enough. Get out of here, out of my family, out of the coffee shop. You see, in those moments, we're actually just appealing to God's mercy. But like I said before, that's how Joseph forgives. Jesus enables us to be forgiven in a much, much different way. That pastor years ago in college said this as a second example. Imagine if you went in that same coffee shop, the same friend recommended that same coffee shop to you, and you, like me, are very forgetful. And day after day goes by, and you can't pay that bill. But the owner says, oh, you know what? Actually, before you arrived, your friend told me that you're very forgetful. He knew that you were going to do that. So actually what he did, and look, I'll show you right here. I have his credit card on file. He told me that even though you wouldn't be able to pay for it, he's going to pay for it in advance for you. So no matter how much a bill, no matter how big a charge, even you could buy everything here. He's got one of those fancy, like, black Amex cars or whatever, right? He's got one of those. There's no limit to it. So day after day, when you come in and, and oh, gosh, no, I want to pay for it, but I, I, don't have, I don't have my wallet. In that moment, you're not appealing to his mercy. You're actually appealing to his justice. It's very similar, but actually very, very different. You see, mercy is withholding punishment that is due. Justice is giving somebody what they deserve. And in that moment, I'm able to rack up that bill and not have to pay the debt because it's already been paid for. So the owner has to look at me, and if he is a just owner, he looks at me and says, hey, the bill's been paid for. And you might think, okay, well, how does God fit in this? Okay, you're in a coffee shop, there's mercy, justice. I mean, give me some biblical truth here. I mean, Drew, I want to hear more than just an illustration. Romans chapter 3. Paul says this, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, translation, we all owe a debt. And we can't pay it on our own. This isn't just a physical debt. This is a spiritual debt that leads to death. He goes on, verse 24, we are now justified, hear that word, justified, by his grace as a gift of the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his justice, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed 
It was to prove at the present time that he himself is just and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. I want you to catch this. There's this moment in Genesis 50 where as Joseph responds to his brothers, he says, what you intended for harm, God intended for good. It's a very, very famous passage in Scripture. And then Joseph goes on and says, for the saving of many lives, just as he did here. Now, you might look at that story and you say, okay, I see how some Egyptians were saved from the famine. I see how the brothers were saved, but what does that have to do with me? You see, it actually has everything to do with you, and it has everything to do with why we're here today. Because remember, you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. The reason why they survived is because those brothers threw him into a pit. And because of that, eventually, as you heard, he was able to save many, many lives. That whole family was able to live through the famine. That family, my friends, Matthew reminds us in the beginning of his gospel, are the descendants of Jesus. Do you realize if those, if those brothers had not thrown Joseph into the pit, where would we be here today? Now, God's much more sovereign than that. God's much bigger than that. But do you realize that even though they threw him into the pit, that one day Jesus would be born out of the lineage of that family? And like Joseph, who was thrown into a pit, who was betrayed, Jesus was betrayed. He was beaten. He was crucified. He was left for dead. He was thrown not into a pit. He was thrown into the grave. And like Joseph, who eventually got out of that pit and ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh, Jesus defeated death, burst forth from the tomb, and is now at the right hand of the Father, infinitely more powerful than the Pharaoh of Egypt. And from that place, he actually has the real authority, the real power to forgive, not just in a merciful way, but in a just way. Because on the way from the grave to the right hand of the Father, he defeated death. He absorbed all of that upon himself, and it was paid for. Do you realize what that means in a very, very practical sense? No matter what mistake you've made, no matter how much of a debt you owe God, and Scripture says that it's an infinite chasm, it's been paid for by Jesus. He didn't put down a credit card. He put down his life. And when you recognize that and when you make mistakes as a follower of Christ, you can ask God for forgiveness and you can say and appeal to his justice, not his mercy that won't run out. You appeal to his justice and you say, God, I thank you for Jesus paying for that sin. And humbly and broken, I come to you not only asking for forgiveness, but knowing that you will forgive. You know what that'll do? That'll free you up. It'll free you to actually confess more sin to God. It'll actually free you up to ask for forgiveness more often because you know it's been paid for. And when you allow that truth to sink in, to change your heart, to know that you are forgiven, as Dave reminded us that God who began a good work in you will carry it all the way to completion, His mercies will never run out. And then with that forgiveness, you can really forgive others. Not the way that Joseph forgave, just with mercy, causing them to think, okay, will the mercy run out? Will they one day get justice? but rather that you would forgive the way that Jesus forgave. And no matter how much somebody wrongs you, no matter how much somebody betrays you, the justice not only will be served, but it has been served on the cross. 
And when you can recognize how much in need of a Savior you are, how much in need of forgiveness you are, and recognize that Jesus takes care of all of that, then when somebody wrongs you, you can say, okay, it's not just going to evaporate what they did to me. And you can also recognize that you don't have to absorb that in yourself. You don't have to get them back exacting justice yourself. You can recognize that he paid it all. Even Jesus says, God says in Romans 12, vengeance is mine. And in that place, you can walk with freedom. That can actually change your life. It only frees you up, it actually frees the people around you up. Beller, will we be a people that receives the type of forgiveness that Jesus gives? And will we extend forgiveness the same way that Jesus does? You see, Joseph has so much more to do with Jesus than he does with an amazing technicolor dream coat. May that Joseph's life be a sign in history that points to our Savior who forgives ultimately, completely, the saving of many lives. Would you pray with me? God, as we gather here in this place, we recognize that you are I think better than we could ever even put into words than we could imagine. And even as we sit here and as we resonate with the truth that you forgive us, God, I pray that you would even bring to mind things in our life that we know that perhaps we're fearful of even asking you for forgiveness. In the quietness of this place, God, I pray that you would remind us that you have already paid it all. And may we step into the truth of that to receive the forgiveness that you have extended us in Jesus. May that not be a license to sin so that, that grace would increase, but rather that we would walk in the truth of who you are. And God, I pray that we would even bring to mind people in our life that have wronged us, that have betrayed us. Perhaps it's people in this room, people in the phone book on our phone. God, would you give us your spirit to forgive, not as Joseph forgave, but Jesus the way that you forgive. We don't have the strength. We don't have the, the power to do that on our own. We need your help today. And so as we leave this place in a few minutes, may we walk in the truth that, Jesus, you've paid it all. And may we extend that to those around us. Jesus, it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.